Alex Simmons. Chris, hey, Chris. Alex Simmons. Come in, Where? Alex Simmons. Uh, over here. Over here, son. Yeah. <laughs> Are you writing the damn story? No, I'm, I'm, I'm about to tell the damn uh, story. Tell the damn story. That's beautiful. <laughs> How are you, buddy? I'm doing great. I'm doing great. Yes, yes. It's another it's another nice day in the neighborhood, so to speak. Yeah. A little rainy, but I'll take it. That's all right. Yeah, life life is good. We're we're here to see it. Um, so we're jumping into this one, you know, because you know, we're we're back on track, our energy's flowing, everything's cool, uh, you know, and, and many, many marvelous things are happening in the world as well as some, you know, not so wonderful things. But we're gonna focus on the good stuff. And as writers you know, uh, Chris even mentioned, I think it was in the previous episode, that you, you sometimes turn on the news in the morning and listen to I tend to avoid listening to the news until I'm actually ready to let the world in. You know, because the news always starts off with, you know, here's all the garbage that's gone wrong. I'm a but, former journalist, so I'm a news junkie, which is works to my detriment quite often. Yeah, I hear you. Uh, but, you know, actually, you created a book that, you know, we can mention um, out of some of that. So, you know, hey. Sure. You work with the you work with the materials you're given, but one of the things that that Chris and I both agree on is whether we're watching the news or reading or listening to the news or life in general. You know, as we travel back and forth, or we picked up a piece of fiction, or we've seen a film, we're very, very, very much character driven writers. We we really focus in on the quality and the genuineness and the engaging aspects of characters in stories or in real life. And uh, Chris posed this question uh, at one point, and I thought this would be a great topic for one of our podcasts, you know, says, what kind of, you know, what kind of characters did I, or he in this case too, when we were talking, what kind of characters really intrigue us? What, you know, what, 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 what grabs us in, in any kind of story, whether it's a, mystery or a horror or a humorous genre, what kind of characters really intrigue us and catch us and pull us along on that journey? So I thought, hey, let's talk about that. So Chris, let's talk about that. I'm going to give a, a lot of little snapshots. Oh, okay. Should I go comb my hair? <laughs> yeah, it always <laughs> look perfect. Oh, uh, and I think it'll show uh, two different patterns. Uh, in my life, um, I was drawn to two very distinct pattern of um, characters, mm -hmm. um, and and gradations of them. One was the dispenser of divine justice, and that covers uh, the shadow, which my father introduced me to in the seventies. He loved him. You know, when he was a kid, he would actually read the the pulps as they Which came the thirties and forties, right? In the thirties, he was born in nineteen twenty eight. So later thirties, you know, he would scrape together whatever how much it cost ten cents. Um, yeah, yep, and, that's right. And he and loved the shadow. And in the seventies, they replayed a bunch of the radio shows, and he and I would listen. And I always loved this, um, almost otherworldly supernatural element to the shadow that he was uh, the wrath of God in a way. And that comes to the other character, the Spectre, who was the other ah. wrath of God, you know? Uh, in the DC universe, very much the actual wrath of God. Mm. And that fascinated me because, you know, good Catholic training, 
St. Raymond's Grammar School, Cardinal Spelman High School, it was <laughs> drummed into me, you know, that there is a divine justice, a spirituality. And I think you see some of that um, running through uh, the books that I write. We are absolutely, you know, uh, influenced and affected by our upbringing and our belief system. Yeah, absolutely. Definitely. The other was the um, the human being driven to um, to get justice for people, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and that goes back to going to EJ Corvettes in the se- uh, early seventies. You know, we first discovering uh, albums and we'd go there and pick an album and outside the little record area of EJ Corvettes, which was a department store, the outside wall was a paperback shelf where I found Doc Savage and The Shadow, but a lot of Doc Savage novels. And he was someone who was raised by scientists to human perfection, but he was driven to help people who were not as good as him, had not been raised by scientists who were regular people and i found that fascinating that that you know someone would be so gifted and aim those gifts to the common good uh captain america was like that and then you know the the captain america run that i found and became obsessed with was captain america the falcon and I knew I had no shot at being Captain America because, you know, <laughs> I was going every week to Fordham Road to get shots from Dr. Schwartz, you know, and I'd get an allergy shot and a B12 shot, and he never slipped in the super soldier serum. So I was always the skinny kid. But I thought I have an outside shot of being the Falcon because he's a regular guy driven to do good. So that theme, you know. And then I became, you know, the Avengers Infinity War is making a billion dollars, but it wounds me. I love the movie. I'm, I'm fascinated by the movie, but it wounds me because Hawkeye's not in it. Now, here's ah. a guy who grew up poor, grew up an orphan, not a rich orphan like Batman, but often him and his brother joined the circus as, as like handymen, you know, as uh, roustabouts. And then he, he saw the archer or the swordsman and learned how to become and honed his graft. And he's not well-educated. He's the almost the opposite of Doc Savage. But he's got this drive in him. No matter who is writing this character, there's a drive in him. And sometimes he's goofy and sometimes he's sexist. And sometimes he's a regular goofy guy that just keeps trying. And that's the part that attracts me. I'm a guy with a bow and arrow. Yep, but he, but more than but that, that's a line from from Ultron. Yes, and you know, and, but it's I'm not just a guy with a bow and arrow. But <laughs> it's the next line, you know. It none of this makes sense, but I'm going out there because it's my job. But right. I'm going out there because it's my job. That guy could walk away, and every time Hawkeye won't give up on his people, won't give up on the right thing to do, and gets his butt kicked quite often because of it, suffers because of it, and keeps going. I have high hopes for the Avengers 4, including a lot of Hawkeye. I hope that's true. But those kind of characters, those two different characters, have fascinated me since my earliest reading days to even right now. They still, and I think I write those characters to this day. I don't write a Hawkeye, 
might be some goofy kid in a high school like uh, Genius High or, you know, Mallory and Gunner, the two detectives in my uh, detective novels, or even the, the aging comedian in A Simple Rebellion. They're all regular guys. Think of all these books, by the way, That's folks. Right. You can get them at Amazon.com. Um, but they're all regular people driven by a need to do the right thing. You know, I, I got to chime in here just very quickly. Uh, when you were talking about Hawkeye and you were, you were painting that particular aspect of his character, uh, I immediately flashed back to uh, Sam in the, um, please let me get this right, the Lord of the Ring. Uh, oh, Samwise uh, Gamgee. Right. That first film, towards the very end, when uh, Frodo is in the boat about to go out onto the lake and he's telling Sam, stay on the shore. You know, we've, we've, we've probably lost all of our helpers and protectors. They're off battling these horrible things. They're never going to make it. But I've got to keep going. i got to go. And Sam goes, no, Mr. Frodo, I'm coming with you. And he starts walking into the water. And the boat's drifting away from him, and he keeps walking. And Frodo's telling him, go back, go back. And Sam finally walks under. I mean, he goes under. He's drowning. Yeah, he can't swim. Right. Frodo reaches in, pulls him up, gets him into the boat. He says, what's wrong with you? You can't swim. Why did you keep coming? Why, did you, why didn't you go back? Great he says, because I gave my word. I, I wouldn't leave you. I made a promise, Mr. Frodo. Right. A promise. Yes. That yes. thing. That in the core of a character is a, a goodness. And a, I always, in, in my English class, I teach the moral core or throughout literature. And that's what I believe is the thing that we should hold dearest in our own lives. That we have that to guide us, right? And everybody who doesn't goes way off the path, no matter what job they have, you know, whether it's a cop or a milkman. And we're back. You're back. How are you, sir? So you were saying. <laughs> I was saying that uh, as an English teacher, I teach that that moral core is something that we should embrace and hold dear because it will guide us and keep us on the path if we develop it well. You know, it, it doesn't matter. You could be a superhero or you know, uh, the dark savage, or you could be a milkman or, you know, and if you don't have that moral, you go off the path, you know, you can be absolutely, cop, you don't have a moral core, you're going to go off the path, you know, anybody, anybody, you know, uh, president of the United States, uh, anybody, you know. <laughs> so, so you, you had mentioned, um, in a way that, that you, you, you mentioned, I guess I would call them certain types of umbrella uh characters that that or a philosophy within those characters that have always attracted you mm -hmm. um how about yourself yeah i was going to say i i sort of approached it differently when i was yeah. thinking about this mm -hmm. and i thought about what elements or atmosphere or environments pulled me in the direction of a particular character or a particular type of character story like i found that tortured soul characters intrigue me you know, someone who's who's got something going on in their lives that's just eating at them from the inside, and they've got to deal with that as they're trying to somehow maneuver or make it through some external uh, threat or challenge or hardship. Um, I find that those cases, because you, you, it's, it's like peeling onions. 
you, you're as as the external thing, the exterior thing is going on. You're also peeling away the layers that's taking you to the core, the very fiber of this individual, and how that I guess connects to what you were saying is you know like you were saying you have a, a, a dispenser of divine justice. You have somebody who's on that kind of a moral uh, mission, and and maybe yet they've got this this inner thing that's driving them while whatever is going on from the outside is occurring as well. So I, we see that in the blackjack stories that you write. Ah, yeah. 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 Funny. Cause they, he was definitely one of the ones I was going to mention. Um, tortured souls, uh, people who carry secrets, uh, people from different cultures, because, you know, I grew up in an era, as you know, where the dominant imagery in mass media was pretty much the European Anglo-Saxon or quote unquote white, Ameri- white American, you know, wh- you know, white world. Uh, and any view of uh, indigenous people anywhere was seen through that lens. And quite often, you know, even though I was born in the fifties, uh, a lot of the television and, and things that we saw and a lot of the movies that we saw from the past were from the thirties and forties. So, even a lot of the films about Chinese or Japanese characters, it was white actors playing those lead characters. Right. Um, you know, any representations of the Middle East or other countries quite often were, were done on the back lot sets of, you know, some major studio. And the guys would say typical things or speak in perfect English, but would have names like Farouk and whatever. So literally, um, I became more and more intrigued with what would a character, hero or villain, be like if we were more true to the source material and that those kind of characters began to intrigue me as I was growing up I would watch more foreign films and such uh, and unexplored aspects of known characters you know some of the things that I think have, have really done damage to some of our more popular iconic characters have also been some of the more intriguing aspects of those iconic characters Could you give an example well you know I would look at what what's been done with Batman since since the beginning. You know, we've had so many incarnations of Batman, uh, so many takes on him over the years. And I think to one degree, we start out in the 30s with this guy, Mysterious. Yes, we find out he's a playboy. But basically, it's a very dramatic series. It's not a humorous series. There's no light comedy there. Uh, they introduce Robin. It gets a little lighter because now they have the kid involved and, and it's a little bit more brighter and colorful but it's still mysteries. He still goes up against murderers or robbers or whatever. Then we get into the fifties and now it's more sort of bizarre aliens and things like that. And, and even a little bit of the supernatural by the time we hit the seventies and the eighties, we're dealing with social commentary. We're dealing with more, you know, we're dealing with patriotism. We're dealing with drugs. We're dealing with a lot of that. And, and Danny, now we've got and Danny that. And Neil made him more of a detective. Right, right. But now we have a Batman who's, seriously damaged you know i mean the I trauma think, the i trauma like that of, was more by the 80s he was they started playing with him as a damaged uh right exactly and and that's the thing because he's so damaged you know that you know sometimes i feel like god guy really needs to be on a couch um instead of my parents were killed in front of me it was it was i had a you know a screwed up childhood in that i missed them but i put that energy towards becoming this to prevent others from experiencing what I have. And yeah, there can be, and, and, and some of those things have come up when they've investigated what was his life like growing up? That was intriguing. How did he get trained? That was intriguing. You know, who were the people 
that he cared about, the love interest, like in uh, Mask of the Phantasm, the animated you know, film about him, his relationship with that young woman coming up out of his past, and he almost had married her. These, these are kind of cool things. These are kind of cool stories, you know, unknown aspects of an iconic character. Right. But the more you damage that character, you know, I have some problems with that now he's a tortured soul, quote unquote, superhero. And uh, in some hands, he's a psychotic. Yeah, yeah. If and you want to, that's a real problem, you know. It's you know, it's a problem I, for me in that who are our, you know what are our heroes? Who are our heroes? That's a whole other discussion. And I'm actually you know looking at what is a hero and all that, and in another uh, uh, series of things I'm doing. But I think in terms of characters, I think when you when you're finding out unknown aspects of a character you thought you knew so well, that's intriguing to me especially when it's done well, when a good writer gets his or her hands on that character and really brings forth something. And just to be clear, I'm not, I'm not opposed to studying some of the psychological aspects of a character who's gone through what Batman has gone through. It's just the darker and the heavier and the more freaked out you get, the more you come up with totally damaged goods. And then you start to literally wonder, I guess, like the public is supposed to, is it okay that this guy's running around taking the law into his own hands? Right. You know, I'm not so sure now. You know, it'd be like for me, it would be like if the Lone Ranger suddenly started just shooting people down. Yeah, because sometimes they, again, they they get away from that moral core. Mm-hmm. Like in the Batman movies, when when in the original ones with uh, Keaton, uh, he he actually kills people in the first two films. A lot of people don't realize that, but he's he's killed. And the Batman that I admired for all those years, the one who who has a code against killing shouldn't just be indi- in, indifferent even about taking lives. It just, that, that doesn't work for me. But again, we're well, talking I, about factors that intrigue. You know, so. I, and I also thought that um, one of the aspects that I, I liked about him was that he was traumatized by gun, you know, his parents being gunned down. Mm-hmm. So he wouldn't use a gun. And in the hands of Denny O'Neill and Neil Adams, if someone tried to use a gun on him, it would it would you know push a trigger in his right uh, uh, temp temper right, and he would yep. he would hurt that guy's gun hand much more right right in because that aspect yeah that symbolism was there yeah it created a great um, challenge and flaw for the writer to write around or write with um, if we look at the most current incarnation of Batman in film. With the Ben Affleck Batman, this guy has no problem with guns. Yeah, you know, and and killing, you know, and it takes away from me. It strips away a lot of the nobility, you know. That that I love the Batman who was yes, cape and cowl, but shadowy, and a detective and thoughtful. But it was always driven, you know, that moral core of being there for those who don't have anyone there because right. when his parents got killed he had no one there to protect his world and he's overcompensating for that that's and a here, psychology that i can understand you here's the other way i think you take away a core element of him well you you absolutely do and again that then says well who cares and and that then brings us to where 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 is society at this time? And I'm not going to get into a whole big thing about society now, 
But I do think that our, our characters, our fictional films and books and things, looking at each era that things come up, you see where society is at that time. You get a glimpse of where we are. Right now, we're in a very hardcore, you know, uh, kill or be killed or beat the crap out of the next guy kind of mindset. Not everybody, you know, please, not everybody. But it does, it is reflected in a lot of our, our, our media, our films and so forth. And I think that, you know, a Batman who still holds to that center the way Cap does right. in the movies, okay? He knows who he is. He has not allowed what's happened to him thus far to take him far afield from that. And we and notice I think, that in the Infinity War, his red, white, and blue is blackened, darkened mm-hmm. because of the dark times that we're living under, um, at least morally. You know, yes, I also think that's a ripe opportunity. The way our country is right now, when we have so many questions about what's going on with our government, no matter which side of the political parties you're on, you know, you can question what Democrats are doing or question what uh, Republicans are doing or question what the president's doing. It's a great time for the return of the Dark Knight detective, the hero that solved the unsolvable questions. I think the public has a real hunger for that right now. I think, well, again, we need heroes. We, we always will. We always have, you know, whether they're mythological or whatever. We need someone to, or we need as many someones as possible to say, you know, when called upon, I rise above the mire. I rise above the bile, the muck, the lies, and I will seek the truth. And I will hold it high for everyone to see. And And I think, again, going back to the question of intriguing characters, people who will take on that mantle because it paints a target on you. It absolutely does. You know, as as even Marvel did with Captain America in their storylines, when, you know, you're supposed to reveal your identity and everything, you know, it draws a line in the sand and it says, no, there's a certain line I will not cross. Plant yourself like a tree, so forth and so on. Um, I think also gender, going back to, again, genders. You know, a lot of stories when I was growing up were told about women from a male perspective. Right. Or not a lot of female heroes who stepped forward and, and could save the day. There were, there were usually uh, one per season that you could, maybe one story per season or maybe one series might pop up. But, you know, you normally did not see that. And I can remember a couple of TV shows as a kid, one of them being Annie Oakley. Uh, and another one being Policewoman, I think it was. Um, oh, Angie Dickinson. No, that's Policewoman Decoy. No, no, that was Policewoman. That's Policewoman. Policewoman Decoy was the one I'm thinking of. Uh, that was from the late 50s, Angie early 60s. took me through puberty, so. Well, hey, you know. <laughs> her part. Her part. But there was, there was a TV series with a policewoman in the series. And it was I think some of them was, sh- it was shot in black and white. And I think it was filmed in one of the major cities, I'd have to go back and do a little research. But all I'm saying is, for me, there were very few images of women in that power strong position. One of the reasons I was I was intrigued about Wonder Woman. Uh, I remember reading about Joan of Arc. Um, I liked in the I think it was in the 80s when they were doing some of the Robin Hood films that made Marion started being less of a you know an ingenue and a waif, and I started kicking names, taking you know kicking butts and taking names. We um, have to go. We have to mention Buffy. Yeah. Yeah, well, I haven't gotten to her yet. Diana Rigg, you know, oh, yeah. the Avengers, you know, and that's the Avengers, the British TV series, not the super I'm talking about. That's right. And yes, you finally move forward to Buffy, Buffy the Vampire Slayer, 
the TV series more so than the movie. Although, yes, the movie was the jumping off point. Yeah, but definitely but yeah, the TV you know, series. And then, of course, you know, um, Wonder Woman. You know, yeah. and I, I mean the movie. Although the TV series was fun, and she took me through some interesting times in my teen years. Uh, you know, thank you very much, Linda. Uh, but yes, um, Linda, thank you, Linda. <laughs> yeah, but, but you know, ultimately, again, it's you know Hollywood or whomever gets into their mindset that strong women characters would not sell. Nobody wants that. And so for a period of time, you didn't have it. So when I was creating Blackjack and some of the other projects I worked on, I had strong female characters. I was raised by two. I, was, I had friends who were strong. I was, I'd be damned if I was going to perpetuate weak, one-note, plastic, stereotypical females. So I think that these you know, strong characters, intriguing characters, even heroes or villains, it doesn't really matter as long as they're intriguing and there's things going, there's layers to it. I'm really pulled into it. And so in like my Sherlock Holmes material that I've written, in the Raven League or the Sherlock Holmes play I've written, uh, in Blackjack, all the stuff I've worked on you know, myself or with you guys, and even a, a series I'm working on right now called Ash, I'm developing it, so I'm not going to talk much more about it than that. But other than say that, again, it's a strong female character and in, in, in this particular situation in Ash, it has one of the other aspects that I find interesting, and that's history. Going back through history and finding those, those moments where characters did extraordinary things or characters or people that we weren't exposed to very strong, you know, very much so in the early days of you know, our youth or growing up or even now the way society is, uh, finding those extraordinary characters or intriguing characters or tortured characters and really find out what makes them tick and, and bringing that forward, either inspired by them or bringing them into stories that I work on and, and developing them there. So those are, those are that's my two cents on, on, on characters that, uh, that intrigue me. And, and sometimes the characters come in unplanned. Mm. Uh, in Genius High, there's a character named Stevie. Um, that that came because I saw uh, she's a uh, she's a trans character. And, mm-hmm. um, there was a kid in my school. There were two kids, one who had transitioned gloriously and was at ease with herself. And the mm-hmm. other who I saw creeping against walls, hiding in shadows, pained every day. And my heart broke for the kid. I didn't know. The, the, the student never uh, had him and then her, as the transition happened, uh, in class. Um, but Stevie was created because, again, having a character that you can turn to that is, uh, can give a little hope, you know? Mm-hmm. And she was meant as a one-scene character, but she kept showing up <laughs> because... Yeah, seriously. She kept showing up. She kept solving problems in the novel. She, um, all of a sudden there was this background that was coming out. Um, and we, we got into a little of how her struggle, you know, and how she let another human being, um, inspire the strength in her. And I realized she is the same kind of character that I tend to write about that one that, you know, finds the strength from flaws, from challenges, from being against the odds. And it you have to be true as you're writing to those characters as they come. 
you know. Exactly. Uh, there are some writers who write the the plot and then have the characters. For me, it's characters and then the plot comes. And you, if you're true to the character and serve the story, you're doing the right thing. And I would, I would back that up or agree with you and say that, you know, whichever way you go, I think if you're true to the character, you serve the story. Because if you come up with the plot first and then you create characters and try and jam them into the plot, that's not going to work well for you either. Well, look but at some you... of the movies that haven't worked well, right? It's because they've jammed plot. We... <laughs> yeah. But, you know, that is, that is one of the things. If you try yeah. and force a character in unnaturally, the story will not work. Exactly. But... If you don't, and as he said, you know, as, as we agree, if you, you know, whether it's plot first or character plot, character first, if you stay true to the character, if you learn who your characters are and stay true to them as you move through the story, you will serve the story best. And that's the best way to tell the damn story. Bam. Always <laughs> great talking to you, Alex. Same, buddy. Take care. See you next time, everybody. And let us know what you think. Take yeah. care. Bye-bye. Take care. Bye-bye.